Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to Exchange Trade Fridays from ETF.com, a weekly wrap-up of finance and business news and what we're watching over at ETF.com. I'm Dan Micah, a reporter with ETF.com, and I and with me are my colleagues, Samit Roy. Hey, everyone. And Heather Bell. Hi, all. Uh, before we get into it, uh, Samit, uh, you are hosting a webinar for us uh, next week. How about you tell us about that real quick? Yeah, we have an exciting webinar coming up next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. The topic is going to be electric vehicles and how investors can get exposure to that mega trend of people switching from traditional internal combustion engine cars into electric vehicles. I'm going to be speaking with Anthony Sassine. He's a senior investment strategist at Crane Shares, and he's going to help me break down everything to do with EVs. Uh, we'll talk about how fast the industry is growing, when EVs are going to overtake traditional ICE vehicles, what the different investment categories are in the EV space, and how EVs relate to ESG. We'll even talk about autonomous vehicles and how to invest in that area as well. So for anyone interested in the webinar, feel free to register on ETF.com. It's super quick and easy. And that uh, webinar is uh, going to be on March 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern. And uh, there's going to be a replay afterwards. Am I, is, that my, is that correct, Samit? You're right, Dan. There will be. Great. Uh, for anyone And for anyone just joining us now, uh, welcome. Uh, thanks for hanging us uh, on this Friday afternoon. If you miss any part of this uh, conversation, you are more than welcome to join us uh, on our podcast feed. Uh, just search for Exchange Trade Fridays and you'll have this conversation uh, right there shortly after we're done here. Uh, but yeah, Samit, Heather, um, are how are you guys feeling? You guys feeling uh, feeling worried out there? Feeling a little bit woozy? Because it seems like everywhere you look, there's there's risks everywhere, and it just seems to be piling up between the 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 now on our first full month of the uh, assault on Ukraine by Russia, from inflation continuing to be persistent, from uh, the Fed uh, doing its first rate hike in a while, and sounding pretty pretty dang hawkish as of late. Uh, how are you guys feeling? Yeah, Dan, it, it seems like there's no place to hide. Even though we've seen this big rally in the stock market recently, I don't think anyone really feels confident about the direction of the market. And I don't think anyone feels confident that the bull market is about to resume anytime soon. There's just been so much uncertainty out there. So even though the S&P 500 is trading where it was you know, a couple months ago, in terms of geopolitics, in terms of macroeconomics, I feel like things are more uncertain than they've ever been. So I don't think anyone really feels good right now, um, but I think they feel better than they did when the market was sitting at the low two weeks ago, down 13% on the S&P 500, down 21% on the NASDAQ. So in that sense, prices feel better now, but fundamentals still feel very shaky right here. Actually, what uh, stood out for me is today we published an article by Alan Roth, um, 
uh, it's called fixed income, new game, new rules. Um, and he's, uh, changing his allocations for the first time or, you know, kind of like shaking things up. He, he tends to stick to his model. Um, that's kind of Alan's thing. And right now he's saying that maybe investors want to add shorter term treasuries into the mix because that seems like it could add a certain amount of diversification to a bond exposure. Um, he's typically followed kind of like a broad market intermediate type exposure with fixed income. Um, and, now he's saying maybe add in some shorter term stuff um, like SHV or something like that. Yeah, I mean, bonds are, are one of the, the, the main you know, safe havens. And, and I've just been looking at that, how the safe havens, the traditional safe havens, at least, have been have been operating. Um, at least on the bond side, uh, it, it definitely the, the the shorter durations have done uh, less bad compared to uh, the higher duration funds. As uh, stage Y, the iShares one through three year Treasury bond ETF is down uh, just two point two five percent on uh, for the year uh, based on yesterday's figures. Uh, IEF, which is the seven to ten. Uh, down 6.5 and TLT, the, the 20 plus year bond exposure down 11.5. Um, so, I, I mean, that makes it pretty difficult to argue that that's a, a safe, haze, safe haven, especially when you have to compound the, 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 the face value losses of those bonds on top of inflation that continues to be persistent and in, is going to continue to be a problem, even if the Fed um, is, is trying to argue um right now that it's willing to to drop 50 basis points uh rate hikes and also this morning we had Citigroup uh, economists say that they expect uh 200 uh, a 200 basis point hike over the next four months i think your use of the term less bad was probably the most accurate way i've heard it described <laughs> as far as the choices in front of uh, fixed income investors yeah, Dan, I think you make a good point. It's just really hard to find a safe haven. In, in this environment, like you said, bonds aren't really protecting you. In fact, they're doing worse than stocks are this year. If you look at something like AGG, it's down six and a half percent year to date, which is worse than 4.8 percent uh, that the S&P 500 has declined. So that's incredible when you think about how much economic and geopolitical uncertainty there is out there that AGG is doing worse than SPY. And then, like you said, Dan, you have analysts like Citi coming out and talking about how the Fed might hike rates 200 basis points over the next four meetings. That does not inspire confidence that bonds are going to stop falling anytime soon. And then you look at other traditional safe havens like gold. Okay, it's done decently. It's up 7% year to date. But that's not an investment that's for everyone. I mean, that's an asset whose value is effectively based on collective belief. And arguably, it's losing mind share and relevancy compared to cryptocurrencies. Uh, so that's you know something to consider. Um, and it's debatable whether gold even makes sense uh, as an investment if the Fed is really committed to hiking rates and bringing inflation down. In that uh, context, you want to be holding gold for two, three, four years because we have no idea. Inflation can be much lower um, two, three years from now. So frankly, I think like Heather was talking about, 
short-term bonds might be the place to hide out if you're looking for a safe haven. They're cash-like, but now suddenly they're giving you these uh, 1.5%, 2% yields, uh, something like SHY, SHV. They have relatively low interest rate risk, um, but at least you're getting something to offset inflation. Cash is just depreciating uh, in purchasing power. So with all that said, I think we also need to um, clarify what we mean when we're talking about safe haven. If we're talking about safe haven against a black swan, uh, a lot of people are worried about nuclear war and things like that. Something that sends economic growth into a free fall and people heading for the hills, then I think nothing has changed. Long bonds are actually the best place to be, just like they always are in a black swan scenario. Because in that scenario, inflation is not a concern. Uh, so, you know, as we move higher in interest rates, I'm actually looking for opportunities in something like TLT to hedge against tail risk. Though I do think, yeah, there is some room or maybe a lot of room to go before we top out in rates. The long bonds, TLT, those are still great hedges against, you know, the very, very unknown black swans out there. On the other hand, if you're talking about a continuation of the current environment where we have this persistently high inflation and steadily rising interest rates, then safety is more of a relative call. Short-term bonds are going to be better than long-term bonds. Value stocks are going to be better than growth stocks. But those are kind of tactical short-term calls. There's no free lunch. The economic environment could change. It's going to change. And the closest thing I think you have to a free lunch is short-term treasuries. You're getting way more yield today than you were yesterday, but the risk hasn't gone all that much higher because these aren't very interest rate sensitive securities to begin with. Yeah, and you know, you bring up value stocks, and I found that actually to be, you know, if you are looking not for like a pure hedge against World War Three, but you are looking to continue to to benefit off of, off of um, um, off of a stock market that has remained. Uh, Really resilient. I mean, I know that the that the S and P five hundred has definitely had its 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 down moments in the past couple of of weeks, but has remained really um, you know really pumping out um, and, and doing well despite the the, the drops and all these headwinds. Um, I mean, based off of looking at yesterday yesterday's um, closing prices, the Vanguard uh, value uh, ETF is up seven point five versus Spy. 17.54% and has remained in lockstep with, with equity, equities in, in their pattern. But, you know, SPY has just, I guess, kind of maybe come down to meet VTV. But, you know, as long as there's confidence in, in the stock market, which there still seems to be a lot of confidence in the stock market. I don't think, um, I don't know if, it, if it's just because, you know, retail investors have that confidence. I don't know if it's just because, you know, meme stock to the moon. But there still seems to be quite a bit of of of, um, of, of strength in, in the equity markets, and, and people still having belief in there. So perhaps that's like a good place to go if you want to try and uh, keep your um, and try and keep, keep getting some kind of returns that way. Um, when I was looking at kind of the complex of VTI, uh, VUG, and VTV. Uh, what I noticed was that for most of the first quarter, uh, VUG, the growth fund offered by Vanguard, and VTI, the broad market, have been really moving very closely together, um, while 
value has kind of forked off, um, moving higher. Um, now, the interesting thing and the reason I talk about this is because in late December, uh, the CRSP index and indexes underwent um, a rebalance. And after that rebalance, that's when the growth fund really moved with the broad market, suggesting to me, I don't know if I'm reaching here, but that the uh, growth stocks were kind of what was dominant during that rebalance. Um, and then value moved ahead and it just, the um, indexes just rebalanced again on the 22nd, I believe, if uh, what's posted online is correct. Um, and I'm wondering how closely uh, value will move with um, the broad market after that um, index rebalance, at least among the Vanguard complex of value and growth uh, and broad market U.S. funds. Yeah, and you, you both make a good point with regard to pointing out value stocks. A lot of people actually talked about stocks being a pretty good hedge against inflation, a pretty good way to maintain your purchasing power throughout an inflationary environment because obviously these companies, they're going to be able to raise the prices of their products in many cases. And that's especially true for the so-called value stocks, right? They usually have earnings right now. They're not dependent on uh, growth and earnings way out in the future, like a lot of the um, unprofitable tech companies. So in that regard, these might be a decent way to protect your purchasing power. If we continue to see CPI 5%, 6% and things along those lines, of course, others might argue, you know, commodities are the way to hedge against inflation. We can talk about that. Um, but there is something to the idea that stocks are a good way to protect your purchasing power. And that might be a reason we're seeing the S&P 500 be so resilient in an environment you would think it would be struggling more than it is. Uh, to me, you mentioned uh, uh, commodities, and, and thank you for making that segue for me. I think that's, that's way smoother than what I could have been doing. Um, I mean, you used to edit. Uh, you used to be an editor at a hard asset at a hard assets publication. Um, what's your read right now on on the commodities exposure uh, market right now with with ETFs? Um, to me, it seems like you know this is this this has been a particular benefit due to all of the uh, trade uh, through the uh, supply. Uh, and uh, trade network constraints that we've seen with uh, with COVID, and then more so, especially on the energy side, as uh, as Russia and Ukraine continue um, to to have their conflict. Yeah, I think when we talk about commodities, and especially commodity ETFs and investing in commodities, I think we have to zoom out and kind of look at what commodities are when we're talking about investing in this space. Right, you have to talk about the structure of the futures curves, things like that. So the concept is for any of those, any of you who aren't familiar with the space is that if you want to invest in most commodities, you have to buy futures contracts with the exception of a few commodities like gold, where you can actually go out there, buy the physical commodity and store it. You can't do that for most commodities. It's, it's either too expensive, like in the case of oil, or it's impossible in the case of perishable commodities like corn or wheat or something. But the thing is, futures contracts expire, so you can't hold them indefinitely. So ETFs, they generally have to sell an expiring futures contract 
and buy a futures contract that expires on a later date. And there's a cost to doing this. You sell a near-term futures contract, um, and then you buy a later dated futures contract. Usually, uh, it's a situation where you're selling at a lower price and buying at a higher price. And that's basically a reflection of the cost of storing commodities over time. Unfortunately, that cost, which is, you know, contango is what we call it, has been a big drag on returns for commodity ETFs long term. You look at something like USO and tracks oil, it's down 80 or 90 percent from where it was 10 years ago, even though oil prices are higher today than they were back then. And it's a similar situation, though not as bad if you look at broad commodity ETFs like DBC. That fund is at the same price as trading at back in 2006, even though commodities in most cases are much higher today than they were back then. So with all that said, uh, most commodities aren't in contango today. They're in the opposite situation, backwardation, where the near month futures contracts are actually higher than later month futures prices. So every time an ETF rolls its futures contracts forward today, they're actually picking up more contracts, they're selling high and buying low, that's a much better situation to be. But going back to the question you asked, Dan, um, you know, is it a good time to buy now? The, the question is, how long is this going to last? And I really don't know, and I don't know if a lot of people or if anyone knows really, because commodities, they're at record highs, and they're up in large part due to geopolitical supply shocks. Um, so we don't know whether these shocks are going to get worse, they're going to get better. And then we also have to look at the bigger context, which is the world is aggressively turning away from some of these commodities like oil and gas. So there's a lot of uh, transitioning to renewable fuels and things like these. Th those are mega trends that are going to be with us for a long time. So it's not as simple as saying, you know, inflation's high right now, so commodities benefit. So go and run out and buy commodity ETFs. Are you a trader? Or are you an investor? If you're a trader, maybe there, there's more supply shocks that are going to come. And if you time your buys and your sells correctly, you might make money. But if you're an investor and you're looking at three to five years, just know that you're buying an asset class that's prone to massive boom-bust cycles and you're buying at near record high prices. If you're okay with that and you think the cycle has longer to go and maybe oil is going to hit 150, 200, Copper is going to hit five, six, seven dollars a pound. Then maybe it makes sense to buy commodities. But Samit, I was wondering what you thought about investing in the equities of commodity producers, um, like gold miners or you know, oil producers, that kind of thing. I think, um, yeah, Heather. I think that's a much better way to go if you're an investor and you have a three to five plus year time horizon because you don't have to deal with futures contracts, roll costs, things like that. And the equities, they're not pricing in anywhere close to the current commodity prices, right? Um, I think most analysts would agree. Oil company stocks are pricing in something like sixty, seventy dollar oil. Definitely not the hundred plus oil we see today. And actually, an interesting area to look at would be natural gas, right? Today, a lot of people um, might have read about how the U.S. government agreed uh, to supply the EU with more natural gas so they could reduce their dependence on Russian natural gas. Now, now it's debatable whether this agreement means anything, because obviously, ultimately, any agreement is going to be, have to be hashed out with, by private companies. But if this is a real trend uh, towards the U.S. becoming a major supplier of natural gas for Europe, 
that's only going to be a good thing for the U.S. natural gas industry. And if you consider that prices of natural gas here in the U.S. are one-sixth of what they are in Europe, um, there could be decent upside if we close some of that gap. Just bear in mind that the U.S. is already the biggest exporter of uh, liquefied natural gas in the world. And it's going to take a long time to grow LNG exporting capacity to the levels it has to go to to supply Europe. And also, natural gas prices in the U.S. today at $5 uh, per million British thermal units, even though they're way below European prices, around $30, they're much higher than the prices we had here a couple of years ago or for the last several years, which is more closer to 2 to $3. So if, even after all those caveats, you're still interested in the space, I would check out something like FCG, FCG that holds natural gas stocks. I'd stay away from UNG and ETFs that hold natural gas futures for all the reasons I talked about earlier. Yeah, and, and to me, I, I, I'm really glad that you brought up this uh, um uh, this duality between if you're trying to trade uh, trade stocks versus being an investor and having a longer term horizon. Uh, for example, WEAT, the, the two Korean wheat fund, absolutely exploded in, over the past couple of, of weeks just due to the um, just due to the fact that Russia and Ukraine have, I think, about a third of the entire world's um, uh, uh, wheat exports. So the price of wheat absolutely exploded. But since it's its peak on the uh, on the seventh, it's now down um, about fifteen percent. So that is where where you know commodities look so um, so attractive right now. But you have to. I, I think what we're all trying to get across to to people is that. You know, timing is everything here, and you know Jack Bogle is spinning in, in his in his grave as I say this because, um, you know, if you're looking at a long-term investment uh, investment cycle, you don't really want to care about timing. You want stuff that just appreciates over time and compounds. Um, so, you know, I, I think that might be something to just really warn people about, and just to really tell people pay attention to this because if you're trying to time stuff that's as moving as aggressively due to geopolitical tensions and, um, and supply chain um, mishaps like wheat, like agriculture, like oil and gas, um, especially when oil and gas, you know, th this agreement between the U.S. and the EU, um, it, it sounds great on principle, but it's going to take a lot of time to build out the infrastructure to actually move uh, liquefied natural gas from the United States to Europe at the, at the scale they want. So it's kind of trying to time the news almost in, in seeing these prices versus trying to play the longer term idea of you know u.s natural gas operators having a more steady uh, customer base from europe as they try to wean themselves off of russia um it, which does seem like a great long-term play from a geopolitical perspective because you know it took russia what 20 20 25 30 years to go from you know the collapse of the soviet union to being welcomed back into the international financial fold and it took less than a week for the for the for the developed uh for the developed markets to just say russia is no longer investable um so i guess if you're willing to take on that risk buckle up 100% agree dan 100% agree with everything you said
Heather, any any closing any closing thoughts? Um, I don't. I think right now what I'm looking at um, as kind of like benefiting from the current global situation long term is uh, uranium. Um, because I think there's going to be a shift uh, to more nuclear power. Um, the UK has already said that they're going to be speeding up their use of it. And I also have been looking at, um, I, I had this idea that when I was reading that, you know, Russia is a major producer of metals, um, I was thinking that uh, recycling or companies that do uh, recycling for profit might benefit. Um, and then I looked at the Vanek Environmental Services ETF, which is only a $76 million fund, but it's been performing quite well. Um, it has a lot of those waste management companies that engage in recycling. So that's what I'm looking at right now. Okay, well, I'm well. We're gonna uh, put it there. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to Exchange Trade Fridays from ETF.com. If you've missed any part of this conversation, uh, hang, go to your favorite wherever you get your podcasts and search for Exchange Exchange Trade Fridays. Excuse me. Uh, we'll have a replay up there uh, relatively shortly today. Um, we are live here on Twitter Spaces at, uh, every Friday at noon Eastern. Lucky Land Slots asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.